Hey everybody, this is Charlie Epstein here at Killing Retirement, and this is the podcast and place to come to have a conversation about this notion of retirement that we have here in America. And I'm working on being the guy in America as America's 401k coach that helps you kill this notion of retirement that we seem to have been born with, at least here in America and perhaps around the world, that you work and then one day you get to 60 or 62 or 65 and retire and sail off in the sunset and suddenly everything turns out. Only what most people have discovered is that's not the way it happens. I was talking to a client of mine today who's 74 years old and still working in the auction business and he shared a story about a friend of his who sold his company and retired to the golf course and every day would call this gentleman up and say, Paul, you got to come out. You got to retire. This is the best thing. And about seven days later, Paul said, his friend John showed up at his doorstep at work and said, if you got anything for me to do, I'm about to go out of my mind. So today I'm thrilled that we have an individual on our podcast, Dan Sullivan, who's the creator of Strategic Coach. And I've been a member of Strategic Coach going on almost 24 years now. And I can safely say to everybody here that the impact that Dan and Strategic Coach have had on my thinking, my mindset, the way I approach the world has made me a more vital, passionate, and engaged individual. And clients today will say to me, gee, Charlie, when are you going to retire? I'm 58 years old. And I look at them now and I say, you mean this isn't my retirement? Working with you and being in relationship with you and being engaged and making a difference. So Dan Sullivan created the Strategic Coach. Dan, about how many years ago was that? Thanks a lot, Charlie, for the introduction. It's a real pleasure. And when you asked me to be on, I jumped at the opportunity because I know the reach that you have out across the U.S. So anyway, got into one-on-one coaching in 1974 and uh, did that for 15 years, accumulating a lot of ideas and experiences. And then in 1989 with my partner, Bab Smith, we started a workshop program where we would have, you know, groups which are now up to 50 or 60 in a room, and we had all these thinking processes for them, and this has been my life for, see, almost 43 years I've been coaching entrepreneurs, and just regarding your topic of killing retirement, I find that entrepreneurs are sort of halfway creatures on this because on the one hand, there's nothing that says that they have to retire because they're their own boss. But on the other hand, a lot of them kind of buy into the social expectations in the world around them where perhaps all their friends, maybe their families and everybody has actually retired and they feel kind of left out or isolated or they feel you know, that they're going to be seen as very odd if they keep working way beyond when other people keep working. But I try to convince all the entrepreneurs to work until they die. And I said, uh, why would you leave? You're going to be better in the future than you are right now if you have that as a goal. And I said, if you're physically great and you're taking care of yourself and you have energy and you have a purpose and there's a next big thing you want to get to, then disregard this retirement thought, and Charlie, you, yours is killing retirement. Well, I have to tell you, you've got a lot of support right at this time in history because I think there's a lot of factors that are actually building up to kill the idea of retirement. I think it's a very brief idea in human history. It's basically max maybe 150 years old, and it served a purpose, and I think that purpose is disappearing. Yeah, I think we're in the infancy stages. I mean, I'm going now back to probably the 90s when I showed up at your doorstep as a strategic coach member. And I mean, one of the things for those of you that are listening, if you don't know Dan, one of the greatest gifts that Dan has is just this ability to synthesize an amazing amount of information and put it in a format that others can use to maximize their engagement, their success, and their ability to see the world in a way they weren't seeing it before. And so I've just been uh, so privy and and appreciative over these 23 years. You know, Dan, it's funny, people will say to me, well, you've been doing what for 23 years? And I have to actually sit them down 
and say, yes, every quarter for 23 years, I go and meet with Dan and 40 to 60 other entrepreneurs, and they look at me like, because what does anyone actually, I say to people, what, what is it that you've done consistently for 20 or 30 years? And when they ask me why, I say, it's about this conversation that we're having right now, about this engagement that we're having right now, and about being willing to view the world in a way that perhaps you have been limited in your thinking about your thinking. And that's something that I love that you say, Dan, you know, actually thinking about your thinking as opposed to just thinking and not evaluating your thinking. But one of the thinking tools that you came up with early on in my experience was this retirement trick. Why don't you share a little bit about that? I think it's so appropriate to this conversation. Yeah. So entrepreneurs, if they think about it, Charlie, can actually have things the way they want them to such a high quality in the present that other people would look at the way they're living their life and they say, you're acting like you're retired. And what I mean by that is that they've done such a great job in creating their company and they've minimized and really distilled down just one, two or three things that it's absolutely crucial for them to do that, but every other activity can be done by someone else. So that's delegation, and in our concept in Strategic Coach, we call the really focusing down on your own activities. We call that unique ability, that there's things where you're very passionate about that activity. You know you're a hero to other people when you do this activity, your clients, customers, and also you know your team members and other people in your life, that you, you're actually, they look at you as a hero, and the other thing is that there's a multiplier impact of this in the sense that just for, you know, the simplest thing, there's large amounts of money to be made with this in less and less time. So there's an exponential quality about it. And every entrepreneur theoretically could do this, but a lot of them have bought so much into outside messages, you know, from the general environment in which they live is that they can't see themselves doing that. But I came up with this idea, somebody just really, really struck me because I had a series of coach entrepreneurs come back to me and says, you know, I feel I'm making 10 times more, working 10 times less amount of time, and I feel like I'm almost retired. And as I talked to them about it, I saw that there were two factors at work here. One is that they had eliminated from their life all the activities that they didn't like doing, and those activities were either eliminated, period, or they were now in the hands of really skilled people who were really passionate about those activities themselves. So I first remember this uh, back in the mid-1990s, and it was a real epiphany moment for me. Uh, you call it the retirement trick, and I'll tell you why it was such an epiphany moment for me, because earlier you and I were talking about longevity and really doing what you do forever if you're really passionate about it. And my grandfather was an accountant, spent his whole life as an accountant, but his last day of his life, he did everything he loved to do. He, he went into work in the morning, went to the golf course that he founded in Hartford, Connecticut, had lunch with his cronies, played golf in the afternoon. That night, he went to a party where people were half his age, and unfortunately, he was going across the street. He said to his wife, I need to get another cigar, and somebody unfortunately ran him over as he was crossing the street. But when people are shocked by that, I say, no, my grandfather lived life fully, lived to the fullest, and his last day of his life, he did everything he loved to do. What a blessing. But this retirement trick really got my attention because it started to expand this concept of living longer than we give ourselves. Talk about that. Yeah, happy to. This has had a huge impact and a lot of entrepreneurs, but one of the reasons people become entrepreneurs in the first place is for freedom. Freedom of time, freedom of money, freedom of relationship, and freedom of purpose. And they can't find those freedoms by working for someone else. And so they take the risk of going out into the marketplace on their own. But if you're really, really clear about pursuing this freedom goal consciously as you become more successful, then you can get to the point where you can perform two tricks. So the retirement trick is actually two tricks. And that is that you can systematically get rid of all the activities 
that you personally are doing that you don't like doing, which means that everything you are doing you really enjoy. And then the second thing is that you can systematically eliminate all the relationships in your business life, you know, people you work with, clients, customers, other people, you know, vendors, consultants, and everything else out in the marketplace that you don't like dealing with. So when you do that, you're no longer doing any activity that you don't enjoy, and you aren't being any relationships. My feeling is that, you know, people looking in from the outside will look at you and you say, you know, you, you act and you perform like you're almost retired. How are you able to pull that off? Well, it's just these two tricks that if you had a goal of after a certain point of building your business, you weren't going to do any of those activities that drained you of energy and the same thing with relationships, then you would be retired, but you would still be making money. And in that state of mind of being completely freed up from everything you didn't like, you'd make a lot more money and you'd probably be motivated to do it right up until the end, you know, right up until your time that, you know, that you actually do die, like your grandfather. Well, I'm actually living proof of it because as we were working together, when I first met you, just prior, you know, one of my passions, and my listeners know this, is, is the arts. My mother was an opera singer, and her father was concert master, Radio City Music Hall in the 1920s. And I always had a passion for the theater and the stage. And from 1988 to 2001, I used to take three to five months off a year from my financial business and pursue my acting passion. And every year that I took more time off to pursue that passion, I kept making more money in my core business, my primary business, what you like to call the uh, cash flow cow business. And it was very, very early on in the relationship that you and I had. For those of you who aren't familiar with Dan's free days, focus days, and buffer days, uh, it's a tool that you can go to the strategiccoach.com site and get. But it really had an impact on how I started to look at what you just said, Dan, which is the more time I took off from my financial planning and consulting business, and the more time I went off and pursued stage work, I had to put the business in a place where it could operate without me, which meant I had to get very, very focused on only doing those things in the shortest amount of time that created the greatest amount of results, i.e. revenue. And I became a master at eliminating everything else because I didn't a, have the time to do it. And I allowed myself taking more time off to short circuit that kind of learning curve along with the tools that you provided. And it was amazing experience as I just watched my income go from six figures to seven figures in a very, very short period of time by becoming very, very clear on there's really only two or three things that I love to do in this business, and there's two or three things that I love to do in the performing business. And you put those two together, and that created an incredible unique ability combination for me. And the retirement trick, as you talk about it, is being able to do it longer than people normally think they could live. And so... You know, when I went through your retirement trick, my retirement age now is 147. And when I tell that people, they look at me like, what are you talking about? And I know we were talking earlier before we started recording. I think you said you're at 156. That's my goal because I was born in 1944. Just one day I was thinking, gee, you know, it would be a really interesting experience to actually live through a complete calendar century. In other words, from the year one of a century right to year 100, and I said, I kind of miss the 20th century, so why don't I do it in the 21st century? So I had this, you know, it added up to a 56 years in the 20th plus 100 in the 21st, and it was 156. So I just started playing with this number, writing it down, and maybe drawing some of the, you know, well, how would you have to be at, let's say, I did this 29 years ago, so I was in my 40s, and so I said, you know, when you're, if you were to live to 156, how would you have to be when you're 75? So I'm 72 now, and, you know, I put down a whole series of things about fitness and health, and, you know, your mind, human mind is a very interesting thing, because if you give it a goal, it's not skeptical of the goal. It just starts working on the goal, and it starts saying, you know, what stands in the way of this goal and, you know, what would you need to do extra? What would you need to do different? Who would you need to be around? You know, what kind of activity would you have to move towards in order to get this? And so I've been thinking about this 
for 29 years, and you don't get to 156 if you retire at 85. You know, I mean, retirement is the probably the decision that you make to start dying. And I think that, you know, when people actually retire, they may feel, you know, some golf course relief for three months. But as your story at the beginning points out, they get bored. They get bored. I just had an insight into this. And it was the insight came from some research that I saw cortisol readings comparing that are high stress. The vast majority of people have higher cortisol levels at home than they actually do at work. And the reason is that work is more predictable because you have, you know, you have certain activities that you know you're going to do. You have certain relationships that you're working with. You have certain goals that you're going to. Where at home, there's a lot of unexpected things that sort of happen, and you don't have the same kind of rules that you do at work. And what I find is that when people leave their occupation and they go out, one of the biggest things that they learn is leave behind is an audience that claps for them. And Charlie, you're from the entertainment business, and there's two things that really is very, very good about being a really good actor or a really good performer. One of them is the money that you get from doing it if you're really good. But the other thing is the applause. You have to have both. You have to have yeah. the money. I actually used to say, Dan, that when I first got started in the theater world, if you just fed us, all we needed was food and applause. Yes. An actor doesn't even need money in the beginning. So yeah. No, you do you do pretty quickly, but after that, but if you think of most people's job, they have people who really appreciate them. There's probably people who appreciate their real unique ability better than people do outside of work, you know, that they have a real feel for the difference that this person makes. I mean, if it's a good working place. And, you know, I have a story. My father, I have him as a role model because my father had his best business year when he was 83. He was a farmer first and then switched over to landscaping as farming became harder and harder. It was a small farm and you just couldn't make a go of it. So he switched over to landscaping and he made the switch when he was 60 and then had 23 years and he made all his money between age 60 and age 83 and a couple of times you know I was away from home when all this was happening but I would go out for a day with him and we would go around to his various landscaping jobs and it was a real social circuit because he would start off in the morning and you know he was a landscaper mainly for women whose husbands had died shortly after retirement. And so he was taking care of all these women. And, you know, he'd visit 10 different sites in a day. And there was a repetition in each of these visits. And he said, come on in, Mr. Sullivan. You know, I've got coffee for you. I have cookies for you. And then he, you know, the person would turn to me and says, you know, you must be really proud of your father. He's just the most amazing man. I've never met a man like, you know, your father, you know, all the other men are dead. And look at your father. He's out there working and, you know, and everything like this. And it was, uh, Charlie, it was just morning to night, nonstop applause. Mm. And when he was just finished his 83rd year, his birthday was in December, he told my mother, he says, that's it. I just don't feel like putting in another year. And he went in for a physical right after Christmas, and everything was okay, but it wasn't a really good physical, you know. I mean, it was checking heartbeat, everything, blood pressure, and everything else. And eight months later, he died of prostate cancer. And my sense of it is that my father, the day that he didn't get applause, he didn't know who he was. And if you're 83 and you don't know who you are, you don't want to be around for very long. And he checked out. And it always sent a message to me, like I have this huge message, never give up your audience. You know, if you want to keep living, never give up your audience. And the biggest audience is the work audience. Yeah, and it's also that notion that you're talking about as being vital to people. You know, waking up in the morning and knowing that you matter and you're going to make a difference and that you're just not only feel vital, but that's that kind of impact. Well, being, a hero, to, you know, huh? being a real hero to them, yeah. that you, you play an important part in their life that nobody else can play. And I think that that's, uh, you know, to have that as a, you know, a daily uh, mantra, 
checklist, you know, or anything, you know, did I, in what way was I a hero today is a very useful, I think it's a very useful thinking exercise. Yeah, and I want to go back because I know many of our listeners are probably thinking, wait a minute, guys, you just said you were living to 147, and I know you said to me, Dan, that you're working on a, a new book called My Plan for Living to 156. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be informative for our listeners for us to talk a little bit about you, your relationship with uh, Peter Diamantis and Human Longevity, Inc. You and I both just recently went out to uh, La Jolla. I know you and Babs did, my wife Lori and I did, and had our genomes mapped and about 19 other tests. And you recently got your results. I just got my results last week. And I think it's going to be informative because, you know, folks, this notion of killing retirement and being passionate and vital and, and continuing every day to be a hero in your own life and other people's lives, you got to be healthy. And we now live in an age where technological and biological breakthroughs are the norm. And it's almost science fiction, but it is the reality that we're living in that we actually could make it to 147, 156, and even beyond. Let's talk a little bit about that, the experiences that you've been having in your relationship with Peter and that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, Peter, for those who don't know him as, in my world anyway, is the person that I look to for any thinking about how technology is changing the world. And he's written two fabulous books, which uh, one is called Abundance, and the other one is called Bold. And he just knows everybody everybody who is a key player in the technological world, you know, the Jeff Bezos at Amazon and Elon Musk and the two partners at Google. And, uh, you know, just he's really on the cutting edge. And uh, one of the huge, huge areas of technological application is in extending human lifetime. Because, you know, people who are really having a great life don't want to give it up. And people who are having a really great life usually have the money to pay extra to keep themselves alive. And so medicine and technology and, you know, all the wisdom about keeping yourself alive is now becoming a major activity and a major focus. And so I've been very interested and independently of each other, Peter has this really long lifetime goal that he had set 30 years ago, and I have my 156 that I've set 29 years ago as we speak. You know, over the years, Charlie, I've come up with three mindsets that you have to have or three things you have to have in your life if you're going to live a long time. And I'll express them actually as not having these things prompting you to actually die as quickly as you can. One of them is no friends. A lot of people go through life only having friends who are their own age group. So when you get to the 70s, 60s and 70s, you start losing those friends. And you're looking forward to a future where ultimately, if you live longer, you're not going to have any friends at all. And people don't want to continue living if they don't have friends. You know, my friends right now span over six decades. You know, I have 13-year-olds that I'm friends of. I have some who are older than me, but the vast majority of my friends are a decade younger. You know, like you, Charlie, I mean, you're 14 years older. I'm 72, you're 58. And, you know, it goes down into the 40s, the 30s. And I constantly renew this. So every 10 years, I meet new teenagers that I know who are going to be friends. So no friends. The other thing is no money. You know, if you just run out of money, you're going to be dependent, and nobody really finds that an endurable way to live, is to be dependent upon other people. And the third thing is you have no purpose. Your purpose really was to get to retirement and maybe do some interesting activities, but that's not enough purpose to keep you living. And so you combine the three, no friends, no money, and no purpose, and combined they'll give you a ticket to stand in line for the departure lounge, you know. Right. Right. I mean, mean, uh, you'll issue a ticket, you know, you'll have a seat number and you're gone. And, And you know, I think what's what's great is when you talk about not only friends, but like you said, people that are younger than you. I mean, your organization is an organization of vibrant young talent. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've built this environment around you where I think, you know, one of the things that I find so wonderful about the organization that you've built, Strategic Coach, and that is 
how you engage with your employees. I think you've got 120 now. You're in England, you're in Canada, you're in the U.S., in multiple cities. And there is a energy, I like to think we have it here at the 401k coach, Nepstein Financial, where everybody has an impact, no matter how big or small, no matter how long you've been with the company, that everybody, there's this gleam and twinkle in their eyes that there's something exciting going on. There's a place they can make an impact. I was actually last quarter when we were together and one of the new young ladies that you hired who's going to be on your sales team, you know, was just bursting with so much energy that it fueled me f- for the day. Yeah, Allison. Yep. You, know, you know, that unique ability and for our listeners, it's not only the friends, the purpose and the money, but it's how you create space for other people to show up in your lives and to be better than they are. And that's kind of the real joy of life. Like you never get over that, you know, you never get over that kind of spark. And I know when I wake up in the morning, I think, gee, who's going to be lucky enough for me to spend time with and vice versa. Like I don't know every day who I'm going to be in front of and what a great thrill that is. Yeah. Yeah. And just, yeah, it's really, uh, Fantastic. And you asked me the question about my discussion. So I, I do podcasts with Peter Diamandis. It's called Exponential Wisdom. And if you just go to Google and punch in Exponential Wisdom, you can see all the podcasts that we've done. But Peter asked me the question how I was thinking about the 156 years. And I said, well, I mentioned the three things that we just talked about, but there were three others, you know, which are much more strategic and specific to longevity. And the first thing is, is, you know, you have to, three things, exercise, nutrition, and sleep. Got to get a real handle on the exercise and especially in relationship to maintaining your muscle and increasing your muscle as you get older. One of the things people, I've discovered this because over the last year, I've actually gained six pounds of muscle between my 71st and 72nd birthday, which is really, really hard to do. I know we probably have some 70-year-olds listening there. Really, really hard. I mean, if you can just maintain your muscle, but through, you know, specialists and technology and that, I've found a way, and my goal is probably for another six pounds, you know, that I'll get up to, you know, a number that's really a terrific number, and then I have the means which to maintain that because muscle protects your bones, it protects your joints, it keeps your metabolism high. But the biggest thing, it just gives you a sense of an energetic confidence. You just feel that you're going to have the energy to take on bigger things as you get older. And so, Charlie, one of the things I've really discovered about this is that the feeling of getting older is actually the feeling of getting weaker. Most people lose muscle as they get older, and if you can counteract that and you can reverse it, you're not going to feel older. You'll actually feel younger. So that's a huge thing. And the nutrition, while there's an abundance of uh, terrific insight about, you know, just generally what kind of nutrition you have to have, you know, things that everybody could follow, but then there's all sorts of testing now that actually tell you specifically how you have to eat with your body type, and we've got the new information like the genome and, you know, the, the biome information that's coming with all this wonderful technology. And the third one is really sleep, and people can say, you know, I can get by on four hours sleep, but generally speaking, you're not very, very good unless you're coming in between the seven and eight hour thing. And it has to be good sleep. You know, it has, you can't be up five times during the night and you can't be, you know, in a state of high stress when you're sleeping. So those three things are really, really crucial. And then the other thing is what you're, we're doing, Charlie, is the testing to for early warning, catching things before they become, you know, an irreversible problem. And then there's all the, what I think is going to be repair that's going to become available. You know, I was thinking, you know, if 10 years from now I lost my eyesight, I bet in 10 years they can replace my eyesight. You know, if you take any part of my body functions within 10 to 15 years, if I lose it, I'll be able to repair it. And that's going to be a huge, huge jump. Yeah, I remember when we were at the first abundance workshop with Peter Diamantis and Ray Kurzweil in Silicon Valley, right, at Singularity. Yes, yes. And 
Ray in that first hour, I'll never forget him saying, you know, 15 to 20 years from now, we'll be able to take the RNA from your skin cell, forget your DNA, drop it into a 3D printing machine, and what do you need? A new heart, a new liver, a new kidney, and a new lung. And when you wrap your head around that, and now here we are five years from then with Abundance 360 being really a force that Peter Diamantis has created and the connections, but you just see in the past five years where 3D printing and biotechnology and all the artificial intelligence and the sciences are accelerating, as Ray points out, you know, the singularity is near, that is a reality. And so having your genome mapped, having uh, organizations like Human Longevity that Peter and Craig Venter, the first man to map the human genome have created that you and I have been through, and having that baseline just allows you and your practitioners to really open that door to 156 and 147. And while you were talking, I, you know, what you're really saying is, You've got to have a practice that is about keeping your mind sharp and engaged, doing what you love to do and eliminating what you hate to do, a practice for keeping your body healthy. You know, here you are at 72, adding muscle mass, and a practice for your spirit. And part of that is rest, relaxation. I've been doing, I'm a, I do yoga and have for 24 years. Every morning it's a practice. I get up and I can't start the day without that practice. And I think that's also critical to this notion of killing retirement is that really successful people have personal practices that keep their mind sharp, their body available to them, and their spirit fresh and engaged. And I think those are key elements as you're talking about. Yeah. And, you know, the last point that I mentioned to Peter, and then I'd like to ask you a couple of questions, Charlie, since... I get to do this too, mm -hmm. is you have to have a future that's bigger than your past. So at 72, when I look at the future ahead of me, it's much bigger than the life I've lived so far in the first 72 years. More is going to get accomplished after my 72nd year than got accomplished before my in the first 72 years. And this is like a muscle that you can actually develop. So you know, if I compare my ambitions at 72 compared with 42, 30 years ago, I'm incomparably more ambitious today than I was at 42. And this is really, in coach, what we really work on. We work on ambition as a capability that can continually be expanded. It's not a function of a time in your life. It's not a function of an occupation. It's not a function uh, that you were given a certain amount of ambition and at a certain point you ran out of it. I just consider it a capability. It's like a muscle and you, you know, if you want to be muscular, you have to exercise your ambition, which is, you know, visualizing, first of all, that you're going to have a longevity that's much greater than what people considered normal. And on that topic, I'd like to go, when you started, you know, in the early 90s, when you did the retirement trick, and then we did the lifetime extender, too, which where I get everybody in strategic coach just to actually state the year when they're going to die, and you came up with the 147. Did you talk about that to other people, I mean, as you were doing that? Because, you know, I mean, we're 20 years beyond that, and a lot of stuff has happened in technology and medicine. But the early 90s, this was a very rare conversation, and it was a kind of a ludicrous conversation for most people. So I'm just wondering what your experience was when you started chatting about this. Yeah, you know, it's, I'm glad you asked that. It's interesting because it was around that time that I was at a top-of-the-table meeting, and one of the speakers was, you'll remember the uh, first heart transplant was done by really Christian, Christian Barnard right from South Africa yep he and his brother actually his brother was a surgeon too and it was his brother who spoke at the top of the table meeting and uh, he was in his 80s at the time and he was talking about you know he had that lovely South African accent that uh, that all his friends were in retirement communities and he was traveling around the world working for an insurance company selling catastrophic insurance for people that couldn't pay for heart transplants or major diseases because he said while we gave people life he showed the story of one of the heart transplant 
this gentleman who lived for almost 17 years, but lived in a shack because he had no money and was really bankrupt. And he said, while we gave them life, what quality of life did we give them? And I was struck by that. I actually went up to him the cocktail hour and said, I don't need them now, but I'm ready to put an order in for my heart, my liver, and my kidney. And he kind of smiled. And now you flash forward to you and the retirement trick and my picking this 147. And then we flash forward to where we are with technology that transplants are almost the norm today. And then you get to the point where Ray says, we'll actually be able to 3D print your own heart, liver, kidney, and lungs. So you don't even have to take all those drugs after we do the operation and the extension of that. And so I share that in answer to your question because I remember when I first said 147 and I came home and started sharing it with my closest friends that I was gonna to live to 147, people knew I was crazy beforehand and that just confirmed it for them. But you know, if you keep saying something long enough, like you say, Dan, about mindset, that what you say becomes reality over time. And isn't it amazing that we have this reality now that confirms your retirement trick. And I think the takeaway for our listeners is that whatever you mind can think can be created as reality in the world if you give it enough time to plant the seed and have others around you create the reality. So Yeah, that is a second question that I have, Charlie, and that is that this long time frame that you have, so you've been at it now for more than 20 years with thinking that 147 is a normal expectation. What's it done to your sense of time, you know, where you just notice that you're thinking about time very differently than other people? Yeah, well, it really goes, the first thing that came to my head was abundance, what Peter talks about with this notion of not only that there's an abundance of resources, you know, the difference between a scarcity mindset and an abundant mindset. And when you do that with time, that it actually expands this notion of, hmm, rather than thinking I'm living to an 80, 147, it expands the just opportunity that life is. I, I think the other thing is, is I don't worry about dying. I don't worry about time running out. And I don't mean it in a way that it's so abundant that I can waste it. It actually makes it more precious that there's more of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, your experiences are corresponding exactly to mine, is that I actually, it slows down time remarkably. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, when the tennis players talk about when they're in the zone and the ball slows down and they can see the lines on the ball coming to them. It's the same when I was really in the zone as an actor. I did a one-man show where I played all seven characters, and uh it was five weeks of rehearsals and the first two weeks of performance, you know, you're just getting your legs and your sensibility. And uh, the other characters that I played, I had pre-recorded and they were on a TV monitor. And so I was really talking to myself throughout the whole show, though the audience didn't know the other characters were played by me if you pulled it off. And I can remember, Dan, by the third week, everything slowing down. The other actors' performance, my performance, and you just kind of fall into that magical pot. It's the thing an actor dreams of, that time slows down. And as you're living moment to moment and creating it, you're aware of it. And it's even more heightened because the audience is seeing and hearing it for the first time and that kind of energy. And that's the best way I can describe the retirement trick is that it puts you in that zone of confidence that there's this expanse of time. And then, as you said, it, it slows it down. So while you're in the moments, you can enjoy them and not be frenetic about it. It's really mm -hmm. magical. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly been my experience. And one of the neat things about it is that more and more, as I've got more coaching experience, I've really, really noticed that every, everybody has a unique take on time. I've never met two people who have exactly the same time sense. But most people think everybody around them has the same time sense. And what I'm noticing more and more is that nobody's got the same time sense. And the reason is we all make it up, that we actually make up our time sense. And, you know, how we look at the past, you know, there's a certain notion, well, that's the way things happened. 
you know, you can't make up things that happen, but the fact is that the things that happened in your past are strictly your present interpretation of what those things meant. There's two things. There's the fact that something happened, but what it meant is strictly an interpretation that you make up. And my feeling is that as you can do that with the past, you can also make it with the future. People said, well, you know, if you get to 50 or 60 years old, your future is pretty set and everybody knows what that's going to be. And I said, well, yeah, but that's sort of an outside observation, you know, and it's, you know, designed by government or it's designed by corporations or it's designed by, you know, doctors or anything else. But I said, in fact, nobody looks at their future the same. And that being the case, you have to realize that you have complete imaginative control over both your past, your present, and also your future. And this gives you an enormous amount of freedom that you kind of made it up until now. You think somebody else did it to you, but they didn't. You kind of made up your life up until now. And my feeling is if you truly grasp that and you take responsibility for it, that means that you can make up your future and you don't have to obey anyone else's rules and you don't have to meet anyone's expectations on how you're going to actually do the future. So the first first thing you want to do is to get clear about how long the additional life is going to be. And since you're making this up, make it a number that really suits you. And then the, the final thing is then as quickly as you can, stop doing all the activities you don't like doing. Stop hanging around with people you don't like hanging around with. Yeah, as I was listening to you, and we've had this conversation many, many times at Strategic Coach, I was struck by there are people in the world that spend their time rewriting and re-arguing their past. And then there's those people, as you say, in the freedom cycle that are vitally involved in their future. And it's interesting because those people that spend most of their time in the past, they can't even comprehend this retirement trick conversation that we're having. And, uh, you know, the more focused you are on the future, the more focused you are on your, your vitality and, uh, you know, your authorship, as people like to say. You know, being the author of your future is much more vital and much more exciting than being the copy editor of your past, rewriting your past. And I'm always struck by people that are so stuck in their past, and you can just see the struggle and the lack of vitality in living a bigger future. It's amazing to me. And I think that's the key to this retirement trick and this notion, everybody, about killing retirement is, and Dan, I know you like to say this, you look back into the past and see if there's anything worth taking with you into the future and leave the other luggage and baggage behind. Yeah, it was just for experience. I mean, yeah. Uh, truly, your experience was either for learning or it's, you know, it's not to be, uh, you know, don't give it any importance. The only experiences that I've had up until, you know, my present age are the ones that I learned something for the future, something that I, if I get the point here, then I can stick with this going into the future. So I, my whole point for past experience was to arm myself for the future. And, uh, you know, I just did the book, which is called The Ten Times Mind Expander, and I just talk in one section about having gone to this college. You know, it's a very unique college, and it's, it's got a big reputation, and it's called St. John's. It's in Annapolis, Maryland, and they have another campus in Santa Fe, and you study the great books of the Western world for four years, so it's probably one of the most thorough, in-depth philosophical educations that can be had anywhere in the world. And I went there after the Army. I was actually 23 when I started, so I was significantly older than the other students. And I just wanted to read all the books, and I'm not a structured enough person that I could actually do this on my own. So I said, you know, I'll just pay them for four years to structure the experience for me. But very quickly when I got into it, I began noticing that there was this mindset on the part of the, I think, both the faculty and also the students, that none of us are going to do anything in our lives that are as great as the writers of this book. We're not going to have ideas that are as important as the ideas. And my feeling is that after four years of that mindset that you're never going to be good enough, that you've killed an enormous amount of ambition to do anything new or 
attempt anything different. And it turns out that way. It's uh, For as influential a college it is, it hasn't turned out many people who really amounted to much that we know about. I mean, they may have been there, but there's nobody really famous, you know, from the college who's come out of there. And this is 60, 70 years that they've had this program. So one day I was sitting, uh, you know, and they ask you, you know, the colleges are always asking their alumni for money. They always want you to come back for the reunions. And so I got my reunion invitation and I said, well, I'm not going. And I'm just going to take this opportunity for the next hour to put an end to this whole thing of, uh, you know, the tug to go back to a previous experience. And what I did is, you know, the impact filter is a very powerful tool, thinking process, and strategic coach. So I, I did an impact filter, that, and I said, in 30 minutes, I'm going to derive all the value I need to know about having attended this college for four years. And, you know, I went through the thought process, and at the end of a half hour, I came up with five things, you know, that they had a really useful process that, you know, if you want to have really great discussions, start with great ideas then have great questions about the great ideas, then have a great discussion about the questions, and have a really gifted facilitator who keeps the discussion going, and then take the value of this discussion and move it on to the next discussion. And I said, well, I can do that anywhere. I don't have to go to a special college. You know, Dan, that's a great button for our conversation today. Yeah. I think it's a great idea that we're talking about. Yeah. There's been great questions. It's a great discussion. We're both good facilitators. facilitators. And uh, we're sending something out into the world that'll be very, very useful for a lot of other people because this is going out electronically. And, it's a multiplier. Uh, a multiplier, yeah. yeah. And so, so what happened is that I was totally freed up from any sense that I have to go back and see people I went to the college with because I haven't been in touch with them hardly any of them since I left there, and that's kind of evidence of something. And the other thing is that somehow I missed the value and I have to go back and get it. I said, I got all the value. I can sum it up in five points, and I'm just going to use the five points now to go into the future with that, not be bothered by that experience. And that, that's kind of a, you know, an example you know, that I've just recently done that kind of points my entire approach to my past. If there's a past experience that's tugging on you, it's tugging on you because you didn't get the lesson. Go back, get the lesson, extract the lesson, and you can let the rest of it go. And I think that's so perfect for wrapping for us here because this whole notion about killing retirement, everybody, is really about letting go of those past notions that you have about what retirement is, what the future is, and I know that in this conversation, Dan, and what you and I have touched on has been just a plethora of information for people to actually stand back and say, wow, there's something beyond what I may have been doing today in my day-to-day -day activities that is bigger than just me and what I'm focused in on and this whole notion of not only longevity, but being vital, ambitious, connected, doing what you love to do and then allowing that to multiply and have greater impact. So I really, really appreciate your taking time out from uh, I know is a full and vital life. It has been uh, inspirational, impactful for me over these 23 years. And since I'm going to 147 and you've got another 70 plus to 156, we're gonna have to continue uh, these quarters for uh, quite a while. Yes, a lot of Charlie. I just thought of one last idea, and I was trying to think: what is the actual desire for retirement? In other words, what's the going on in people's minds when they? And I think it's actually a nostalgia for childhood. In other words, if you think about it, is that we're all pretty free up until about age, you know, whatever they put us in a classroom. You know, you led an unstructured life when you were a kid. And then at a certain age, they took it all away from you because they stuck you in school. And my feeling is that because we have a sense of that freedom, that early freedom, but it was experienced before we could really think about it, there's this desire to recreate it in the future. And I often notice that old people, like in tours and that, they act like children. And I just wonder if the driving passion for that is that they're trying to get back to something they had at a much earlier age that they don't quite remember 
And but it isn't actually about the future. It's actually a nostalgia for the past. Yeah, and I think the joy of being an entrepreneur is every day you can act like a child in your own business and get paid for it. Absolutely. Dan, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. For those of you who want to learn more about Dan Sullivan, you can go to the strategiccoach.com. As a matter of fact, I encourage you to do that. For those of you that are entrepreneurs on the call, I can just tell you firsthand that the difference between the way I operated in business prior to meeting Dan and working with Dan has been a 10 times multiplier. And not just in the revenue that I earn, but in the engagement and the impact. This conversation right here, Killing Retirement, has come out of my relationship with Dan and uh, the work that we've done together. And uh, what I really love about this and uh, love about the work with Dan and encourage all of you to uh, go to strategiccoach.com is it really is about an inquiry every day. I mean, imagine waking up every day and having your life be about an investigation and inquiry. I talked about my taking three to five months off a year for 12 years to pursue my acting career. And I kind of take that as the norm. And people, I tell them that they look at me and they say, what, what did you do? And how did you do that? And that's really what strategic coach is all about. It's really getting beyond your notions about how you're supposed to operate. Whatever you learn from the past, you are free to let go of. So Dan, I look forward to seeing you uh, at our next session coming up in September in Chicago, strategic coach. Look forward to your next book. I know you're working on uh, your quarterly book. Which one is that now? The Mindset Scorecard? Yes. Yeah, which is probably the single most exciting concept and tool that we've come up with in my 43 years. So, you know, everything up until now has been nuggets in the creek bed. I finally hit the <laughs> mother load. <laughs> uh, I just love it. I uh, just totally love it. Well, Dan, thank you. Thank uh, everybody uh, surrounding you that made you available to us here at Killing Retirement. And uh, folks, if you want to get a hold of me, you can go to uh, killingretirement.com. I encourage you to go to our podcast on killingretirement.com. We're on iTunes. And if you want to email me with any specific thought, question, insight, you can go to CD, as in David Epstein, at the401kcoach.com. I'm Charlie Epstein, and I'm the guy in America that's killing the notion of retirement. We'll see you on our next podcast. Thanks, everybody, and thanks, Dan, so much.